but something was wrong with the tree. Something was wrong with this tree. There was something in the DNA and in the root systems of this fig tree that was deficient because when you have leaves, you should have fruit. There was the outward appearance of fruit, but when Jesus approached the tree, there was no fruit. And so look what Jesus said in verse 14. I, I just, it, it appears that Jesus may have been having a rough day. Look what he says in verse 14. He said to this fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And so Jesus is, is walking along, and this is a little bit out of character for him. Jesus is healing people. I, I would think Jesus would bless his tree and make fruit come forth. And, I, you know, this, it just caught Jesus at the wrong moment. Jesus is like, die, fig tree, die. <laughs> I curse you. May no one ever eat from you again. How many know if you're Jesus, you've got to be a little careful what you say? How many know if you're a Christian, a spirit-filled believer, you have to be careful what you say? Because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And if Jesus could speak and change the atmosphere, then what do our words do? What do our words, when added with faith, what kind of creative power is in our words as well? So look at verse 15. Thank you, media team, very much. So they came to Jerusalem, and they entered the temple. Somebody say the temple. And, and Jesus began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Some translations may say pigeons. So Jesus curses the fig tree, and then he goes on into the temple, and his day's not getting any better. <laughs> this is not sweet little Jesus petting the lamb. This is Jesus coming in and kicking over tables and throwing, just throwing down on people. But there's a purpose. We have this image, and this is a hard passage as a pastor who's grace-oriented, and I'm grace-filled, and, 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 but this is a hard passage to deal with as a New Testament believer because we want to think all great and positive and warm and fuzzy thoughts about the Lord Jesus. But how many know when Jesus uh, did this, he was angry, but it was a righteous anger. He was angry with a purpose. He had a righteous anger on the inside of him. I believe there are some things that the church ought to become righteously angry about. If you remember a few years ago, Mother Teresa at the prayer breakfast looked at the presidents and said, Stop killing babies in your country. Send them to me. How many know there ought to be some things that the church becomes righteously angry about? And so Jesus goes into the temple, and he begins to turn out the money changers. Now, how many growing up, people took this scripture way out of context? You'd, I would come to church. You know, they'd have a fundraiser at school. How many of you love school fundraisers? How many want another coupon book? <laughs> How many are okay if you never see another coupon book in a, a day of your life? But I would come to church with fundraisers, and one of these sweet little old ladies would go, Honey, now you can't sell those candy bars in here because Jesus turned out the money changers. You have to sell those out in the parking lot. Well, but it's raining out there. Well, you got to sell them in the parking lot. Well, it's cold. There's a tornado out there. Got to sell them in the parking lot. This is not what Jesus is talking about. In the back on, on Sundays, Tito is selling books and he's helping raise money for missions. And I mean, no, we don't need to go in and kick over Tito's table. You dadgum money changer, you. And <laughs> Please don't do that. Tito may be small in stature, but I bet he could whoop you. I bet he could take you. And so this is not at all what this is talking about. Let me explain to you from my understanding of, of what is happening here. If, if you could pull up the picture of the temple, I believe there is a, a picture of the temple 
Most people have no concept of how huge the temple was. We, we think Jesus going in this little two-room schoolhouse, this little small structure. This was a major edifice. This was a massive, massive building. And, and this is the wall there of Jerusalem leading actually out to Golgotha, which is where Jesus was crucified, up to the Mount of Olives. And that arrow right there, that's the core of the Gentiles. That's where this was happening. The big thing in the middle is the Holy of Holies. You know, it talks about going in past the outer courts and into the holiest of holies where only the priest could go once a year. So this area right here, this would be filled with thousands and thousands of people. This was not Jesus coming in to six or eight people with a few folding tables set up and just, you know, telling them to leave. This was the Passover feast. There were probably 100,000 people in Jerusalem. If you had any Jewish background, any Jewish heritage, no matter where you were living, in what country, you were to make pilgrims to Jerusalem a couple of times throughout your life and a few times a year, and one of those was the Feast of Passovers, and this place had swollen from maybe 20,000 to well over 100,000 people. And all of them needed to be there. And this is what had happened. Because people would make pilgrimage from their homeland, they could not bring their animals to sacrifice. I mean, that, you know, if you're traveling hours and days, that's a long time to, to bring a lamb. That's a long time to bring a dove. And, and so what they, what, what they realized is that the high priest, somebody say the high priest. The high priest would set up tables and what and the money changer specifically refers to an exchange table. How many of you have ever traveled out of the country? You give them 100 American dollars, and they give you 700 of their dollars. You give them 100 American, and they give you 50 of their dollars, whatever the conversion rate is. So the money changers were actually setting up, and they were saying, you foreigners, we only take one kind of payment. We don't take American Express. We don't take MasterCard. We only take Visa. Well, all I've got is MasterCard. Well, you give me your MasterCard, and then I'll take that, and I'll give you a Visa for said amount. And the money changers were cheating the people. And they were, they were, they were uh, inflating and, and making up the exchange system. So as the people would come in to exchange money to buy their sacrifices, they were being cheated on the exchange rate. Not only that, but they were, they were inflating the price of the animals to take advantage of the poor. So you had these people making pilgrimage. They want to pay homage to the Lord. They need to sacrifice. And the high priest and his family have turned it into a business. The temple had lost its original purpose. So that's just a little bit of background that is very pertinent to our discussion this morning. Now let's jump into verse 16. Mark chapter 11. Verse 16, you'll see it here on the screen. It says, And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. What had happened is all the local folks realized they didn't want to walk around the wall. And so if they needed to go up to the Mount of Gentiles... And Jesus was, was making a statement, which we will see in the fig tree in just a moment. He's making a statement that we need to make sure we keep our religious purposes right and our heart right on track for the Lord because this had become such a secular thing. It no longer had the, the holiness that God had intended for it to have. So look at verse 17. He began to teach and say, it is, is it not written? Now catch this here. The Lord showed me something on this that I have never seen before. I've been so guilty of misquoting this verse. I've been so guilty of misquoting this passage. And this week the Lord has brought some tremendous revelation to me. Look at this here in verse 17. He began to teach. And he said, is it not written? Somebody say, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
How many of you have ever heard someone say, my house shall be called a house of prayer? How many of you would say that? It's okay to raise your hand. <laughs> We're not volunteering you to pack up after your church. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard somebody say, my house shall be called a house of prayers? Do, do we need to pass out some coffee? I don't know if everybody's awake or not. How many of you have ever heard someone quote, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? One person, the only person in the room that reads his Bible. <laughs> Thank you for reading your Bible. Here's what was happening. This is so enlightening to me. Oh, this is so good. So when they, you remember when Jesus, just a few verses back, came into Jerusalem, they were all saying, Hosanna and Hosea and Hanazana, and, and here comes the king, and blessed be the name of the Lord. And remember riding on the, the, the colt of a donkey, and, and they, they thought Jesus was the coming Messiah and the coming king, and they thought he was coming to do an ethnic cleansing they thought Jesus was coming. They believed that, that the temple had become too saturated with foreigners. Listen to me now. Listen to this. They thought the temple had become overpopulated with foreigners, and they wanted to get back to the way church used to be. They wanted to get back to the way we used to have it, with just our group. We just, we just want true Jewish believers. We don't want any of these foreigners here. And Jesus is saying, Is my house not called a house of prayer for all nations? Jesus is saying, I'm an inclusive God. Whether you come from Corrington or East Knoxville or West Knoxville, whatever uh, badge you wear as far as culture, God says, I'm an inclusive God. Whether you're from West Tennessee, even if you're from Alabama, there is hope for Alabama fans. <laughs> Kentucky fans, I'm not sure about, but I'm really sure about Alabama fans. God is an inclusive God. Somebody say, for all nations. Look at your neighbor and say, God cares about all people. Come on, tell them. Say, God cares about all people. Let's keep traveling down this passage. Verse 18. Jesus said, you've made it a robber's den. Verse 18. The chief priests and scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. This was the event that sealed the fate and doom of Jesus as far as his earthly crucifixion. He attacked their very way of life. He attacked their very religious system. And this, this act sparked something in the heart of the religious leaders, the chief priests and scribes, because he affected their wallet. He was now messing with their money. How many know you want to know somebody's heart? Start messing with their money. That's a good place to say, man. Notice this here. The chief priests and scribes heard this, began seeking how to destroy him. They were afraid of him. They were afraid of Jesus. The whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. Now look at verse 20. I think you'll see it on the screen. Notice this here. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Somebody say, from the roots up. They saw it withered from the roots up. We need to underline that phrase in our heart because it's very important. So they're walking back and they say, Lord, isn't this the tree? That you cursed? Yes, it is. And they saw it. They saw the, the fruit of Jesus' words. So this morning, for the few minutes we have left, we're going to talk about where is the fruit. Where is the fruit? And I believe with all my heart, I have a word from the Lord for me and my family. And I have a word for you and your family. And I believe with all my heart, I have a word for this church this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, where is the fruit? How many of you are sitting beside someone that's a little fruity right now? Carrie, don't raise your hand. All right, real quick, I want to jump into this. I've got some things the Lord has given me. I want to show you this here. I want to give you five factors to finding fruit. 
So we're going to talk about the fig tree and what that represents and relates to. The fig tree represents Israel and the Jewish system, the, the, Judy, the Judaism system that was going to be passing away. And then we're going to see the temple that represents something as well. So in these two passages, we see a metaphor. Jesus was not just having a bad day. This was not just out of character for the Lord. He's using these examples to teach us something, and it's a metaphor, and we can really learn from these principles. Number one, the first factor to finding fruit is it's okay to look for and expect fruit. It's okay to look for and expect fruit. We had life group at our home on Friday, and we had a very, very busy week. We had things on Thursday, and we had a minister's meeting. I had to work Friday morning. We had a minister's meeting Friday afternoon, and then we had life group Friday night, and then we had another minister session on Saturday. And we, we brought in Ava and Noah, and we said, we need your help. We gave them very specific things to do because how many know if you come to life group, you need a clean house. Can I have amen? And when you have four kids, there's toys everywhere. And so we said, Ava and Noah, Ava's 10, Noah's 9. We said, we need you all to help us and clean and you know, you know, clean your room and clean. We didn't ask them to pressure wash the house. <laughs> All we want them to do is straighten up the downstairs. So we come home Friday after this minister session at, at about 5 o'clock, maybe 5.30, maybe closer to 6. We have life group at 7, and I go downstairs because I expected fruit. I mean, I felt like kicking over a table. <laughs> Jesus did it, so could I. You know? <laughs> I did not see the fruit that I had expected. But how many know in that instance, it's okay for me to look for and expect fruit? In our prayer life, we should expect fruit. In our marriage, we should expect fruit. How many know me and my wife, we, we believe that. Four kids later, amen. We believe in being fruitful. In your marriage, you ought to be fruitful. How many know in your job, in your employment, you ought to be fruitful? How many know as a church, we should be fruitful? If you serve in children's ministry, we should see fruit. So it's okay. Somebody say, it's okay. To look for and expect fruit. Now, this is something that I noticed here. Christ followers should not only bear fruit, but we should bear much fruit. Do you know the Bible says that? Look with me at John 15, 5. You'll see this on the screen. God didn't just call us to bear fruit. He called us to bear much fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me. Now that word abide in the Greek language, which is the language the New Testament was written in, is the Greek word meno, and it means to remain in, to stay, to not depart. He who abides, remains in, stays in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. We've heard the phrase childbearing. She bore a child. You know, you'll be saved in childbearing. And the Lord began to download some things to me about this scripture that you'll bear much fruit. And it's, it's we become pregnant with the fruit of God on the inside of us as we walk with God, as we read the Bible, as we come to church and worship, we become impregnated with the seed of the word of the Lord. And then as we follow God and walk with God, we begin to bear that fruit in our life. We'll begin to see it bud. We'll begin to, we may have to prune it a little bit. We may have to water it and nurture it, but we will begin to bear the things that God has put on the inside of us. So we must know what areas in our life should be bearing fruit. If you don't know what areas in your life should be bearing fruit, how will you know if you're hitting the target? I have a refrigerator that I was selling a few weeks ago. And I, I didn't want to sell a broken refrigerator. I mean, no, that's good. Because I was selling it as is, and I didn't want to have to go pick the thing up if it didn't work. And so a couple of days before, I put a thermometer inside the refrigerator. What was I doing? I was testing the temperature. I was making sure it's okay. 
The guy knew that I was a believer. How I many you know believers ought be selling stuff that works? Can I have an amen? I didn't want this guy to have any bad rap for the Lord Jesus by me selling him something that didn't work. So a few days in advance, I put the little thermometer in the refrigerator, and when he came and, and bought it, I said, see, look, the temperature is good. It's what it's supposed to do. What am I doing? I'm giving myself a target. It's okay to know areas in our life that should be bearing fruit. But not only we're to bear fruit, but the Bible says we're to bear fruit that remains. Let me show you something here. It's going to help you so much. This is great for our Teen Challenge ladies that are here today. Can we encourage all of our Teen Challenge friends and their families for being here today? We love you guys so much. So we're not only to bear fruit, but we're to bear fruit that remains. Somebody say, that remains. This is something the Lord just began to develop within me this week. When I bear fruit, it's fruit that I bear. I'm supposed to bear fruit. So ministering and sharing and loving and being a blessing and following the Lord, that's me bearing fruit. When I walk in kindness and gentleness, how many know it's good for the pastor to walk in kindness and gentleness? How many know it's good for the church member to walk in kindness and gentleness? When I'm bearing fruit, that I'm obeying the Lord, I'm bearing fruit, but there's a fruit that remains. When I'm investing in my children now, that's fruit that will remain. It will remain longer than I am here. Remember Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. So you ladies in this program, devoting your life to this, setting the mark straight, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for fruit now, but fruit that remains. We'll see you. We'll see your fruit. Thank God for that. But when you turn around and impart that to someone else and disciple someone else and teach that to someone else, that is fruit that remains. Even if I'm taken away or I'm not here, my fruit will remain. Discipling will remain. So we want our marriages fruitful. We want our employment. We want our personal walk with God fruitful. Look at Matthew 7. This is very, very interesting. Matthew chapter 7. It's okay. Somebody say, it's okay to look forward, expect fruit. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly. Inwardly. What does God care about? Anybody over here awake? What's God care about? The heart. On the outside, they look good. They look like sheep. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. God is always more concerned with what's going on inside than what's going on on the outside. It is so easy to fake what's going on on the outside. Jesus approached the fig tree. On the outside, it looked good. From a distance, it looked fine. It had leaves. It should have fruit. But inside, it was dead. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Just because somebody says, thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean it's a thus saith the Lord. We should weigh those things very cautiously. Can I have an amen? Thus saith the Lord, you need to sell everything and move to Guatemala. Well, you better make sure that's a thus saith the Lord before you. God may have been saying, send money to Guatemala, and then you've packed up and moved. We need to be careful that we're testing, the Bible says, as we test the spirits. So look at this here in verse 16. You will know. This is what I love about the Holy Spirit. This is what I love about teaching God's Word because you will know. When a wolf comes that's really in sheep's, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing and inwardly they're ravenous wolves, it says you will know. But inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. Well, don't judge me. You're judging me. Don't, I'm not judging you. I'm just looking at your fruit. I mean, I don't have to do any judgment here. <laughs> Your fruit is speaking loud enough. I don't have to make any judgment against you because I can see the fruit in your life. I, I'm not called a judge, but I am called to be a fruit inspector. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm watching you. Come on, just tell him. Say, I'm watching you. 
I'm inspecting fruit. Notice this here. Grapes gathered are not gathered from thorn bushes, but I swear I've picked grapes before and pricked my finger. Maybe that was blackberries. I guess that was. Okay, so the Bible is true and correct here. Okay. And figs don't come from thistles. So, verse 17, so every good tree bears good fruit. Brooke, you know what I confess over my life? Thank you, Lord, I'm a good tree. I'm a good little tree. <laughs> Here's my handle, pour me out. You know. I'm a good little tree. I bear good fruit. You know what I pray over my children? You are a good tree. You bear good fruit. And they're like, Dad, I'm not a tree. And I'm, saying, I'm metaphorically speaking. Son, just listen. Just pray. <laughs> I'm not a bush, Dad. No, I'm just... I'm, somebody say, I'm a good tree. Say, I'm a good little tree. And I bear good fruit. Man, I love it, I love it, I love it. So we should expect fruit. It's okay to expect good fruit. When we analyze our life, when we analyze our church... When we analyze our family, we should analyze the things that produce fruit. All right, we've got to move on. Number two, the outer appearance of fruit may not always be actual fruit. Now, how many of you love your sweet little pastor this morning? Can I have a little confirmation, a little affirmation? Amen. Hold that thought for about five minutes, okay? And we'll do the survey again after I read this passage. The fig tree represents Israel. Listen, friends, they had a religious exterior, but they had no fruit on the inside. They only looked healthy from a distance. Think about the temple. The temple had lots of action, lots of movement. The temple had lots of worship. The temple had lots of godly things going on. The temple had lots of people in and out. The people had lots of sacrificing going on to the Lord. The temple had lots of acts of obedience, but it was dead and dry and lifeless. And I'm so concerned that it is easy for us as a people to look good on the outside, but on the inside we are hollow. We have nothing there. So the temple looked good on the outside, but the inside was just empty. Jesus is saying, listen to what he's saying, friends. Not me. Jesus is saying this. Listen, be careful that we don't project an outer shell of empty religion without substance. Be careful that we do not project an outer shell of religion but on the inside, we have no substance. Look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. Jesus checks up on his churches. This is way past resurrection. This is way post uh, ascension. This is way past the disciples going into all the world. The churches have been planted. The churches have been established. And Jesus checks up on them. That's what Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 are all about. He's checking up on seven churches to see how they're doing. Look at this in verse 1. To the angel, that's the, the messenger. We could probably maybe even say the pastor of that church. To the minister, to the special messenger of that church. And Sardis, right. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive. I know that everybody on Facebook thinks everything is good between you and Jesus. I know that you have a name in the community that you're a healthy church. I know you have a name amongst all your friends and family that your family is a God-fearing family. I know you have a name, you have the, the Jesus fish on your bumper sticker, which loses its testimony when you blow by me like I'm standing still, I'm just going to say, okay? When you honk at me and beep at me because and, 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 I'm going too slow because I'm doing the speed limit, 
The speed limit's not a suggestion. Do you guys know that? Are you guys aware of that? Your little Jesus fish loses its witness. Can I have an amen? I know you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. My concern is in this church, I don't want anybody that has a name or we're alive and or I'm serving in this ministry, I'm serving on the worship team, I'm even speaking on Sundays. I don't want anyone in our church to have a name that we're alive, but on the inside we're really dead. Look at number two, verse two. I love this. Wake up. Somebody say, Wake up. Some of you really need to elbow your neighbor and say, Wake up. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Here's the word to the Lord, from the Lord to us. Here's the word of the Lord to this church body this morning. We are to wake up and strengthen. Jesus saw the fig tree and he didn't make excuses. Jesus saw the fig tree and he didn't say, well, we've not had a lot of rain this year. Jesus didn't see the fig tree and go, well, they must not have planted it right. Well, I feel sorry for this little fig tree. If they would have planted it over there, it would have fruit. Jesus did not feel sorry and make excuses for the unfruitfulness of the fig tree. Wake up and strengthen that which remains. Every one of you in this room, I don't normally point... But I want to point. I know with public speaking, you're supposed to do this. This is much more inviting. Open hand. But today I want to point because I want, to, want you to see my bony finger because this is important. Every one of you in this room still have something on the inside of you that is alive or you would not be here this morning. So our challenge as a church is to find that thing that is alive on the inside of you and we are to help it awaken. We are to awaken that revival on the inside of you and we are to strengthen the thing that remains. And we have a part of a church, as a church to play in that, but you have a part to play in that. He said, wake up and strengthen the things which remains. Meaning, God has given us a chance. God is not going to just cast us aside like the fig tree. Thank God we're much more valuable than the fig tree. Can I have an amen? We must be cautious to not project a spiritual depth that we do not possess. Jesus was aware of the strengths and weaknesses of his churches. He met them where they were. He hit them with a hard word, but he called them higher. So yes, he kicked over the tables in the temple. Yes, he cursed the fig tree. But for us this morning, he's given us a chance to strengthen and awaken the thing that remains. Would you look at your neighbor and just tell them there's still hope? Come on, just tell them there is still hope. Man, this is good. This is what happens in churches. Look at 2 Timothy 3. My prayer is that we never have this happen in our church. And I'll just make a commitment. As long as I serve as the pastor, I will do everything within my power to make sure this never happens. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. These churches held a form of godliness, but they denied God's power. We will never deny the power of God. Avoid such men as these. Number three, we've got to move this along here because I've got a very special surprise for you at the end of the service. Number three, the third factor to finding fruit is be willing to admit there's no fruit. You know, it's really, really hard as a Christian and as a church and as a pastor and even as a dad to admit what we did or are doing or have done just didn't work. And I know, I understand change in church. I understand, I've been around church my whole life. I was born with a Bible in my hand. I'm pretty sure it's why my mother had to have a C-section because I, I was born with a Bible in my hand. So I understand that. That was probably wrong. Delete that off the recording, please. Did you get my point? I don't know where this stuff comes from. 
I rebuke you, devil. <laughs> I think the devil, that's you, silly. I know that. What was I saying before I interrupted myself? Change in the church. I understand. And I understand when churches advance, and some of you back home here go work at churches, and some of you are in a church that is stuck, and you've got a, a group that doesn't want to advance and change. And, and it's not when you change. It doesn't mean that what you did then wasn't good. It just means God is wanting to do a new thing now. And that's what this Acts 2 journey we've been on as some of our leaders has been all about. It's not, it's not saying the way I pastored five years ago is wrong. There are things that I did five years ago as a pastor that will not help me get to the level that God is calling me to be. It doesn't mean that what I did was wrong or not right for the time. It just means God is doing a new thing and God is helping us grow. Should we not always be growing and always be improving? So Jesus was willing to admit there's no fruit. He didn't make excuses for the fig tree as to why there was no fruit. So the fig tree represents the temple system of worship and the temple represents dead, lifeless religion. Outward appearances only do not please God. The temple had become all about them. That's why Jesus said it will be a house of prayer to all nations. My family cannot be all about me. I know you've wanted to do this, some of you, for a long time. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not all about you. I know you've really wanted to do that. Brooke, you want to come sit by Tyler just so you can tell him it's not all about you? Sometimes my kids say, Dad, why do you think everything's all about you? And I say, because it is. And then they go, no, it's not. No, it's not. You preach that it's not all about you. Don't be listening to my sermons anymore. <laughs> so the temple worship had become all about them, what they needed. Lifeless religion was focused inward instead of outward. But now this is what I want to leave you with as we close this here in just a minute. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Would you say that with me? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Guess what the house of God is now? You. Paul wrote and said, God doesn't live in buildings made with hands of man anymore. God dwells in us. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Say, say, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives on the inside of me now. No longer do I have to go to a place to experience God's presence. I take the presence of God with me wherever I go. I can be in the middle of the pits of hell, down in, in the worst situation, and I can bring the very presence of God into that situation. I don't have to run to a location anymore to experience God. God is with me. What did, what did the psalmist write? If I go down to the depths of the earth, there you are. You are with me. Nothing wrong with buildings. We need buildings. We need, we need structure. Nothing wrong with churches. we got to have it. But we must understand that we are now the house of God. We are now the temple of God. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. When's the last time you prayed for all nations? Meaning, meaning as the house of God, I can't just be focused on me. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, meaning we must always perpetually have an outward focus on those who are of the church of not yet. With my family, I can't just be focused on my family. Our family ought to have a mission to affect those outside of our family. I'm so proud of the Clarks. They do this in such a great way. Pastor Michael and Candy. Yeah, let's encourage them. Yeah, you've got one fan in the house. They are always talking about being an outward focus in what God wants to do in their family. See, we view our family, it's not just our family and what we're about. Our family, which is a house of God, because God lives in us, we're to be a house of prayer for all nations, meaning we must continually be focused on other people and those around us.
So look at 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves. And you have to be honest about the answers. My kids get rewarded when they get hundreds on papers. We don't do video games during the week. Just that's something we do as a family. And we do them on the weekends. And some of you are like, dear God, I don't know what I'd do with my kids if they didn't play video games during the week. I understand. Sometimes I feel the same way. We don't do video games during the week. We just do it on the weekends. And they've been bugging us and bugging us to let them play during the week. And they keep saying, Dad, we do so well in school. We should be able to play video games. I say, the reason you do well in school is because you don't play video games during the week. They don't think so, but I think so. So I said, I'll tell you a deal, Rob. And I told my kids this. I said, every 100 you bring home on every paper, you can get five minutes of video game time. Every 100 that you make on your paper. Listen what the little turkey was doing. I'm not going to tell you which one. You can guess. I'm sure you'll figure it out. The teacher was putting a check plus because he got them all right. And he was writing 100 on it. He, I guess I did. I just told you who it was. It was Noah. Noah was bringing home check pluses. And he was, because he got them all right, so he was putting hundreds on it. So he's getting like hours and hours. Because when you're in third grade, all you get is check pluses. Everything's a check plus. <laughs> and we said, Noah, I'm not doing this for check pluses. I said, and this is what I told him. I said, Noah, if I were you, I would take that check plus to my teacher and ask her to write a 100 on it. <laughs> I said, you can't be writing. You can't be writing your own score. So when we test ourselves. When we test ourselves, we have to be honest about the answer. Oh, what if it's really a C, but I really want to make it a B because I feel better about myself. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. You know what? I love this. Let me help you here. Don't, please don't get bored. Please don't leave. I've got a few more things I really need to say. Not you, Candy. You can leave. I know you got a baby. <laughs> She's like, sorry. <laughs> that was the best timing. <laughs> the rest of you, please don't leave. i got a few more really important things to say. Please, please, please. If we test ourselves, and if we examine ourselves and get ourselves back on track with the help of the Holy Spirit, then we don't have to have God examine us and God test us and God move things in our life to get us back on track. Doesn't scripture say humble yourselves in the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up? Humble yourself, meaning if you do God's job and lift yourself up, he'll have to do your job and bring you back down. So the Bible says in James, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I would much rather bring myself into alignment with God's word than have to have the Lord do some adjusting in my life. So test yourself, examine, see if you're in the faith, or do you not even recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. But even if you fail the test, he'll give you a makeup test. He'll send a tutor into your life. He'll send a mentor into your life who will help you pass the test. Number four, this is good. This is really good. If I do say so myself, I'm getting blessed reading these notes. Number four, Jesus took action against fruitlessness. And we are going to go ahead and close. Bruce, I want to ask you to come on up and help us. Jesus took action against fruitlessness. Let me share this from my heart, please. How many of you have ever been to the doctor and they said you have high cholesterol or your borderline sugar problems or your borderline... Uh, a medical problem is coming on you and you need to change some things about you. How many of you would, would say that? When we had one of our babies, Miss Tara had the baby 
diabetes, the gestational diabetes, and she was only allowed to eat salads, and that was an interesting time to be alive in my house. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank God for the baby being out and the diabetes being gone because that was, she was wonderful and gracious. It's just I couldn't eat anything because I, I made her feel so bad, so I ate nothing but salads for weeks. But I want you to, to look at this point here. Jesus took action against fruitlessness. This is a tough pill to swallow in a grace society. We, we love grace. We love God's favor. But Tara had to make hard changes to be healthy. Here's what God is calling us to as a church. Here's what God is calling us to as a body, as a family. There are changes I have to make that may be hard, but it's for the health of my family. It's for the health of my body. She had to make changes for the health of the baby. She had to make changes for the generation that wasn't even here yet. And there are things we've got to analyze. I just want to tell you openly and honestly and frankly, we are evaluating everything in our church top to bottom. As leaders, we're praying over it, and we're asking the Lord, what do we need to do to put us in position to be healthy? When we are healthy, fruit will come. And if I am not bearing fruit in my life, it's because something in my life is not healthy. As I become healthy, I will grow. And as I become healthy on the inside, I will see the fruit that God desires. So we are prayerfully evaluating everything in, in my family at, at home. We're prayerfully evaluating everything in our church. Because the Lord is calling us to be healthy for future generations. When she only ate salads and quit eating sugar and, and watched the calories, she did it for the health of the baby. It wasn't for her health as much as it was the health of the baby. So when I'm evaluating my life, I must take action against fruitlessness. Damaged trees won't grow no matter what the environment you put them in. If you take a dead tree that's all the way dead, you can put it in the best garden with the best gardener and the best sunlight, but the tree will not grow because it is dead. This morning, we are alive. There's something on the inside of you that is alive. Last scripture, we're going to let you go. Revelation 3.3. 3. So remember, I will never leave you down. I'll always leave you with the answer. Jesus was painting a metaphor of how important our heart is. So when the heart is right, when the root is right, the fruit is right. Say that when you say, when the root is right, the fruit is right. Healthy roots equal healthy fruits. And that's what God's desire is for everyone in this room this morning. Verse 3, so Jesus in 1 and 2 identified the problem. He said, you've got a name as being alive, but you're dead. And he didn't just kick them away. He gave them an answer. Look at it. So remember what you have received and heard. And keep it. And then repent. And then he says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you'll not know at the hour that I will come unto you. But he gives them the word, remember Repent and then redo. Keep it. Keep what you've heard. Remember, repent, redo. Say that with me. Remember, repent, redo. Say it again. Remember, repent, redo. Here's some things that we're to bear fruit in. The fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of repentance. Fruit of righteousness. Fruit of good deeds. 
God desires for you to bear much fruit and fruit that would remain. It's a house of prayer for all nations. The fruit that would remain is when you invest in disciples around you and pour yourself into their life, and their, their fruit might outlive your fruit. Isn't that good news? Let's pray for just a moment. Father, thank you for your words this morning. Thank you for helping us identify fruitless places in our life. Thank you, Father, that you are helping us to remember your goodness, remember what we know, repent, turn, change our minds, and then redo the things that you've called us to do. I've got a song on video that I want the guys to get ready. And as they play and sing this, I want this to be a time of prayer. We, we remember what the Lord has done. We repent of fruitlessness in our life. We evaluate. We evaluate what in our life is not bearing fruit that would please and honor God. And we surrender that to Him. So guys, let's go ahead and fire this video. And I just want this to be a few moments of prayer. And then when it's over, Pastor Michael's going to come and going to dismiss us.